The Start On Demand. On demand. Did you ever go to a summer sports camp when you were a kid? I did. It was for boys and girls. Well, today we'll hear from two women who say summer camps need to be different for girls, and they've found some camps that are geared specifically towards girls. Game of Thrones has wrapped up and left its audience divided and largely disappointed. The Couch Potatoes assemble to offer a more positive review. And Mayo Chop is causing some controversy because the new Heinz condiment, which is just ketchup and mayonnaise mashed together, means something a lot less favorable in a different language that's spoken here. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is off today. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, May 21st podcast for The Start. And McGarry McNabb is off today, hopefully back tomorrow. And Greg, it's, I guess, T-minus under 24 hours and counting until the big one. Till what? We, uh, earthquake? Isn't tomorrow the big one for you? Oh, the 5-0. The big 5-0. <laughs> yeah, last day of my 40s. What can I say? <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. My body is really... Uh, shouting at me this morning. Jackie and I put down, I don't know, I guess about 80 square feet of concrete block, and not like little tiny ones, like four inch thick Roman pavers they're called. Roman pavers. Oh, I like the sound of that. Oh, yeah. And of course you go to the store, and you gotta unload them off the pile one by one onto the cart. Then you push the cart to the vehicle. Then you put them in the vehicle. And then you got to unload them again. You got to handle them three times to lay them down. Well, do you know when you take it out of the car to un to put it down? Do you take it straight from the automobile to the its final resting place? Yes. Otherwise, it'd be four times and. Two is too many. Yeah. You know, so anyway, yeah, my body's barking at me this morning. I'm feeling my age, shall we say, but it was a productive weekend. And for you, productive weekend as well. Yeah, and tomorrow's uh, kind of a big one for me too because I didn't plan it this way. I didn't didn't line it up to come up with your birthday, but it's uh, the visit to Dr. Snips is happening tomorrow. (laughs) That's right. At uh, 10.50, which means I need to leave right after work tomorrow, by the Uh, way. (laughs) Sayonara. <laughs> I don't know what we're saying goodbye to, but uh, you can use your imagination. Yeah. So uh, nervous. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I'm. I don't know what it's going to be like. I've, when I've mentioned this before, listeners have 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 said because I'm going to a doctor named Doctor Billenkoff, and uh, I've had a number of listeners say I went to Billenkoff. It was great. It'll be easy. Uh, and uh, from what I understand, it should be okay. But I I, I know a couple of guys who have gone through the visit to the, the 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 snip doctor, and they ended up laid up for a few days. So I don't know. Do we need to get a cot in here just in case you need to do your do the show lying down like a la Tony Bennett from SCTV? <laughs> is it Tony Bennett? No, it's not Tony Bennett. Who is it? It's still alive. Oh, it's not Tony Bennett. It's somebody else. Okay. One of those old-fashioned crooners, and he lays on the bed, and he's doing his... Perry Como? Perry Como is still alive. That's exactly right. (laughs) Is this something that's suitable for air? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I'm still alive. Perry Como's still alive. (laughs) 
Alex is coming through one side of my headphones here. <laughs> He's just sitting on this chair. <laughs> yeah, if you need a laugh this morning. is still alive. On the couch, stomach down on the couch. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully, you you hopefully you don't need that. Yeah, so that's <laughs> happening tomorrow. But yeah, I know it was a productive weekend. I didn't get put to work like you were, and I guess that probably ends up happening for a lot. You get the long weekend, you look forward to having some relaxing time. But in your case, you ended up having to get to work. And is that what you know when you're you're a homeowner and you have you got a yard happens. and you have a pool? It's just what happens, man. Yeah. Yep. You take a look at it and you go, yeah, that needs to get done. Let's get that done. Okay. So here we are. Uh Cher's in town tonight. Yes. Happy birthday to Cher. It was her birthday yesterday. I think she was seventy three yesterday, if wow. you believe that. Oh my goodness. So uh that should be a heck of a show this evening at okay. Bell MTS Place. Twenty one pilots were here Friday night. My boys went to that show by all accounts, an excellent concert. Mm-hmm. So it's uh ramping up into that concert season. I'm already I was already just uh looking at the calendar, some really great shows coming up. And that third week of July, we've got Slash with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators uh, featuring our own Brent Fitz on the drums along with uh, Todd Todd Kearns who was uh, chatting with on Twitter. We'll tell you a little bit what we were chatting about on Twitter. Completely random Winnipeg thing with regards to MASH. We'll tell you about that. You were chatting with Todd Kearns about that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. He was complaining somewhat about the Game of Thrones finale. Yeah. And he was throwing out the idea of, well, which was the last series finale that really hit all the notes, that really did it right? And I said, MASH was incredible finale. And he said, I didn't even think about MASH. And then the whole idea of when MASH was on was on CKND forever. Anyway, we're going to have a chit-chat about that later on. Def Leppard's here on the 25th. Def Leppard! I might have to book that week off. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to come in and just work on no sleep. How's that? You should bring out a replica of the Stanley Cup. Why? Why? Because it's them. I'm pretty sure it's Def Leppard. They, there was well, there was a scene where they they, were, they hoisted the cup and then they put it down upside down. Upside down. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> that was at the NHL Awards of all places. Oh boy, uh, Joe Elliott, bless you. Lucky it didn't break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know anybody who's ever had to had the opportunity to hoist the cup or hold it or touch yeah, it? Yeah, a few people. I've kissed the Stanley Cup, but of course, where? Uh, at the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I drank beer out of it with Chris Chelios in Chicago. What? Yes. With Chris Chelios. Yes. I was at Murphy's Bleachers, which is a bar outside of Wrigley Field. Uh-huh. Long story short, there was a rain delay. Chris Chelios, uh, who's the lead singer of Pearl Jam? Eddie Vedder? Yeah. John Cusack were all hanging out together. And the start of the game was delayed. So they came to Murphy's Bleachers. Chris Chelios jumps up on the bar. Of course, I have a Winnipeg Jets t-shirt on. Yeah. And... All the hockey fans are cramming close to the bar, and he points at me and he says, Hey, Winnipeg, this is as close as you're ever going to get. <laughs> and he pours the pop blue ribbon into the bowl of the Stanley Cup, and I drank out of the Stanley Cup with Chris Chelios with Eddie Vedder and John Cusack about 30 feet away. It was oh, a great day. What a random collection of celebrities. Completely, they're really good friends. Wow. The, the three of them. So there you go. That, that was about a, a decade ago. It was, it was a good afternoon.
Mackling and McGarry McNabb, hopefully back tomorrow. Jeff Braun is here, Cam Poitras, Jeff Fortier. Over the weekend, Sunday night, Game of Thrones series finale, watched by a little over 19 million viewers on HBO, which is pretty good for these days, especially considering it's a premium cable show. But once upon a time, the MASH series finale had 105.9 million viewers. And Greg, uh, that was kind of, I guess, the impetus for a conversation that morphed into something completely different. Yeah, and uh, with this conversation about the Game of Thrones finale, some people unhappy about it. Some folks were trying to search for a finale of a series that was great. And I said, MASH, hello. And uh, so that turned into the conversation about how long was MASH on CKND? What time was it on? And uh, then that has morphed into a conversation about bedtime routines because for a lot of people, it was Johnny Carson's monologue, shut off the TV and go to bed. And uh, one of our listeners says, yes, MASH was on at 10 o'clock and bedtime would be as soon as Stan Kubitschek would say, have a good one. I guess maybe after doing his weather on CKND. So we've got Jeff Braun and Cam Poitras is here. And of course, Jeff Forche is behind the glass joining us this morning. So uh, any any of this resonate with you guys in terms of a routine, a bedtime routine and and television? Personally, I'm, I'm pretty bad <laughs> at like a bedtime routine. You just leave routine. the TV on? Yeah, yeah. but uh, a friend of mine, Cody out in Roy- Gina, my good buddy Cody, uh, he watches an episode of Frasier, I think, um, he watches an episode of Frasier, then he watches Stephen Colbert's monologue, then he goes to bed and he does that every single day. What channel is Frasier on that he's watching it? Um, I think it's uh, CMT, I think so, or something like that. There's uh, Yes TV. Is it Yes TV? That's what I record it on every day. Oh, yeah, see, well, it's, on, it it's on C- CMT, though. It's also oh, it? on CMT. Okay. Yeah, I catch it on there now. Or you can get it on demand, on, yeah. which I've been catching on, uh, catching up on Frasier and on uh, Cheers. I bank the Frasiers up all week long, and then I watch them a uh, little marathon every Sunday night right before I go to bed. Is it like, Really? <laughs> cool. Great show, right? That's oh, a great show. I've seen it the whole thing at least half a dozen times. Underrated in terms of its uh, yeah, it kind of got history. it kind of got screwed. It, it ended the week after or the same week as Friends did, so it <sighs> sort of got overshadowed by that. But for me, along with along the lines of the Smash thing, when I was a kid, I and it, it drove me nuts every time. It must have happened five or six times. Superman the movie would come on TV, and mm-hmm. I get super excited. Dad, Superman's on TV. Can we watch it? He's like, yeah. And as soon and it it tells a, the first one tells a backstory is a is a baby and he's young Clark Kent and he's in high school and he finally moves to the city and then just when he turns into Superman and just when he he shows up for the first time to save Lois Lane from falling off the building when the helicopter crashes, Dad'd be like, "Well, you got bedtime." <laughs> oh come on! Every single time the same scene. I'm like, "Come on, Dad, one more hour." No, you got to go to bed. I was like, "He just turned into Superman." <laughs> so, <laughs> and it just drove, and it happened every single time because I guess they started the movie at eight o'clock every time or something like that, right? And, oh, and that so movie sorry, was Jeff. probably four hours long on television. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, and with all that backstory, it took probably a whole hour before he turned into Superman. Yeah, so. Fair enough. So what? every time I see a superhero movie and there's an origin story, just somewhere in the back of my head, it's like, "Come on, get on." with it already. I don't want to. <laughs> your dad has breeded your impatience towards uh, getting down to it. What about you, Forts? Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to remember. Like, when I was a kid, my parents would just go to bed. It's bedtime. <laughs> that's that's how I would go to bed. That's how I, I, I remember it. That was the call? It just when the, once the parents barked it out, oh, it yeah. was time? Yeah. Did you back talk? No back talk, Forts? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, well. <laughs> 
Come on, it's me. Still had to go to bed. <laughs> Still had to go to bed. What about you, Brett? I didn't really have a, a television show per se. My the thing for me though is like when I would go to bed, I would always leave the door open a little bit, and uh, I found it easier to sleep when I could see the glow from my parents' television, sort of flickering in the hall uh, from their bedroom. And if I didn't fall asleep before they shut their TV off, then I would. It would almost be impossible for me to fall asleep. Uh, for whatever reason, it just if I could, if it was still on and I could fall asleep, that kind of helped soothe me to sleep. But once their TV went off, then I would just lie there for hours. So I don't know why that was. But the, as far as a TV show, I guess uh, my weekend bedtime treat uh, was Arsenio Hall. I would, I would get to stay up late on Fridays and watch that. It's I a had, dog pound. I had a little 13-inch Emerson brand television <laughs> that I bought from Majestic Electronics. Was it like $900? It was $333, <laughs> I think. Was it color or black and white? It was color. And it came with this, like, 10-foot sort of single earphone plug, which yeah. I thought was the coolest thing. Because I, I did that, sneak, too. I could sneak watch. So I did that, too. Mm. I had a black and white in my bedroom, and I turned the contrast way down and the brightness way down so they couldn't see light coming out. And I just listened on headphones and watched Arsenio and go to bed after that. Really? Yeah. One of my boys got caught, uh, I guess it was Saturday morning, he put on Riverdale, and it went over the Bluetooth speaker in my bedroom. <laughs> so I got up and it's like, uh, Alex, what are you doing? Nothing. I said, are you watching Riverdale by any chance? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <it's over> the- <laughs> iPad. So you got to be careful which devices are connected to what speakers, etc. these days. Otherwise, you're going to get found out. My mom, back in the day when the Jets games would be on, Ken Nicholson would be calling the play-by-play here on CJOB. I didn't have a radio until I was about nine. So I'm seven years old, eight years old. And my mom would put the Jets game on her radio in her bedroom, and I would have to lie so still just so I could actually hear the call of the game. And, well, inevitably, I'd be asleep probably in about 20 minutes or less. Yeah. But that was a very good trick on her on her part. Neat. Yeah. I haven't had a uh, routine now for bed for years, uh, mostly because I've been working shift work basically since I graduated from high school. So there's no set time, even though we've been doing this show now, Greg, for yeah, I guess almost two years, mm-hmm. uh, but still there's no like there's no moment in the day where, oh, it's nine o'clock. I'm get, it's time to get sleepy. Some days I go to bed at 630. Other days it's 10 o'clock. Last week, uh, I think last Thursday, I got to bed at 1230 at night. So there's no show that comes on or anything like that. But Jeff, you're a, 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 you've been doing this shift for God, what, a decade? At least. Yeah. So do you, I've lost track of all time. Yeah. But you've got a pretty standard routine, right? Uh, yeah, I go to bed. Well, uh, the bedtime varies, but once I get to bed and it's ready to fall time to fall asleep, then I listen to start listening to podcasts, and that I can't sleep. If I, I found, I think just last week, I noticed it would turn itself off after I put on a timer, and if I wasn't asleep, I'd be like, I just couldn't fall asleep. And then if I now it, if I put it on, I can be out in like five minutes. So. I hope it's not our podcast that you put on. <laughs> so, no, believe it or not, after a day's working with you guys, I've had about my fills. So. Oh, <laughs> Let us know your bedtime routine. Is there a TV show that signals to you it's time to go? Also, Greg, just on the subject of your boy watching Riverdale that piping in under the, under the Bluetooth, yes. just be thankful that it was that and not something that ends in hub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd be having a whole other conversation today, let me tell you.
Ron's been telling you in Global News that an encroaching forest fire made for a nervous day at Falcon Beach Ranch in the White Shell over the weekend. Yeah, in a Facebook post, the owners of the ranch say they were breathing, or they say they are breathing a huge sigh of relief after a forest fire came within about 700 metres Monday afternoon. They thank the local fire department, parks, and IA crews and provincial water bombers for putting down the fire. They also say no one was hurt. So joining us live on 680 CJOB is the owner slash operator of Falcon Beach Ranch, Devin Imry, joining us live on the start. Devin, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, guys. So looking at the video that you put on Facebook, that you put on Instagram, uh, which we've shared as well to our 680 CJOB Instagram account, pretty dramatic stuff. I mean, what was going through your head as you could see the, the smoke coming your way? Yeah, it's a, it was a scary uh, scary time for sure. Um, I was actually out on a horseback ride myself when I got the call uh, from uh, a close friend who's on the fire department and spotted the smoke and called in the fire. And uh, as soon as you know he did that, uh, it was kind of obvious to everyone that the fire was getting big and relatively out of control and uh, you know billowing up behind the trees just immediately north of our property here. So. You know, the thought was just to get here as quickly as possible. And, uh, yeah, the response time from the local uh, volunteer department here and uh, and the water bombers and attack crews was really quick. So um, uh, we were fortunate for that, for sure. But it was definitely a lot of uh, tense moments here. We had a fairly nice weekend, gorgeous day yesterday, gorgeous day today. But, of course, gorgeous is all perspective, Devin. How dry is it? You spend an awful lot of time in the forest uh, and doing uh, things uh, within nature. How badly do we need rain? Oh, absolutely. We need it. It's uh, it's tinder dry in the bush right now. And, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful weekend. There was a lot of people out enjoying uh, the activities out here and uh, the the fire itself seem to have started on the the Falcon Creek hiking trail, which is just north of our property. So it received heavy use throughout the weekend. Fortunately, everybody was able to get off the trail quickly. But um, yeah, it's it's dry out there. So people who are out in the the forest need to be taking extreme care. Devin, for those who uh, might be unfamiliar with uh, where you're located, I mean, uh, for myself, I, I'm not super familiar with the White Shell. I love going through there. I love playing golf at Falcon Lake Golf Course. So, for example, where is it in relation to the golf course? So our, our property, the Falcon Beach Ranch here, is just on the north side of the highway at Falcon Lake, um, immediately north of the underpass, so the, the you know just straight north of the golf course, uh, just a few hundred meters. And... Uh, yeah, so you know, a fire threatening our our property is definitely kind of threatening the whole the whole town site and all the businesses and and homes and cottages close by. And um, you know, there are a lot of people out on the lake and you could see the smoke billowing up. And and uh, it looks it always looks closer than it is, uh, but it was it was very close. And uh, fortunately, you know, the one thing we had going for us, well, a couple things yesterday was the. Um, water bombers were able to make such quick laps with Falcon Lake being right here and uh, and the, the winds were relatively light so even though it was dry it didn't spread as quickly as it could have. Is this the closest you've ever had uh, fire or have you experienced uh, anything similar in the past Evan? This is definitely the closest call for sure. Um, last year we had one just a, a kilometer or so west of Falcon Lake, which was also uh, really scary, but uh, this was uh, definitely the closest and the closest we hope we ever see. 
All right, Devin Emery joining us live on 680 CJOB, the owner-operator of Falcon Beach Ranch. Devin, thank you for taking a couple of minutes to chat with us this morning. Glad that everything turned out okay here. Thanks very much. And, uh, yeah, anyone who wants to see the uh, video uh, of the action can, uh, as you mentioned, visit our Instagram or Facebook page. Yeah, you'll be able to find them at Falcon Beach Ranch. Devin, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, it's pretty dramatic, and you're sitting there, and you can see the, the the wooden sort of rails that are typical for a ranch, and just above the tree line, all this smoke, and there's a fire truck, and you can see the water bomber kind of going off in the distance. So, yeah, that must have been super tense. Yeah, you know, uh, my, my closest experience to fire like this is actually in Southern California. We know what the brush fires can be like in that part of the world, and when I was there in 2015, 15 was sitting uh, visiting with friends of mine and the fire trucks went screaming uh, past their front door off to a brush fire up in the Malibu Hills. I mean, I tell you, uh, they live with that. They get used to it. It's tough to get used to it when it's right on your uh, doorstep. Time for Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. The voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving, joins us now. And Bob, training camp in full swing now, day three, about to get underway. How are you this morning? I'm fine. I'll be out there very shortly with uh, a few hundred of my friends, I guess. Well, at least I was on the weekend. Probably fewer people out to watch today because it's it's a work day again. But the crowds for the first couple of days of camp have been uh, quite impressive. As I say, there's been a few hundred people out in the stands watching, and yeah, here we go. Day three and ten days until the first preseason game. Yeah, the Bombers getting a little bit of a break, do you think, Bob? The, a lot of teams having to play a preseason game this week, I think. Yeah, the first one is this weekend, or maybe it's Friday, I'm not sure, but it is this weekend for sure. And that's just the way the schedule works out. I'm not sure, Greg, about the advantages or disadvantages, but I know that uh, Michael Shea likes the fact that they're going to have 10 or 11 straight days of, of camp and work uh, trying to nail down the playbook and all and decide who you know which players to keep and which ones to let go before they have to play a game. And I see, Bob, that there are, what is it, nine Winnipeggers participating in training camp? Is that unusual? Uh, well, I think it's, it's one of the larger numbers, Brett, there's been in a while. It's not unusual to have some, but uh, yeah, there certainly are uh, more than normal, I would say, at, at this year's camp. And one of the most impressive ones so far has been Brady Oliveira, the running back from North Dakota that they drafted this year. Uh, he's an Oak Park grad, one of three that are in training camp, and he's really looked good. Uh, the coaches are, you know, raving about him already, and so that's a great start for Brady Oliveira. Yeah, the, the the idea that there are uh, maybe more Winnipeggers than usual at camp, we can debate that. But the fact that these players are impactful and make a difference on the roster, that might be unusual, Bob? Yeah, I would think so, sure. And, and now Nick Dembski is another one of those guys. And boy, and we're only two days in, but he is flying. Now, he was a free agent in the offseason, and they re-signed him to a two-year contract. And uh, he figures as one of their starting receivers, as he was last year. But uh, he has really been flying. One of the Winnipeggers we haven't seen on the practice field yet is Andrew Harris. Uh, that's no big. Well, he's on the field, but he's not practicing. Uh, they're holding him out along with Pat Newfeld and Brandon Alexander, three of their their starters, their key players. Uh, they all had some. What, how will I put this? They had some work done uh, in the off season. I don't know exactly what uh, they're not telling us that, 
but they're just holding them out as, as sort of a precaution. And a guy like Harris, who's 32, uh, doesn't need a lot of reps in training camp anyway. They're better served to have him fully healthy before they put him on the field. So, Bob, I know that uh, the conversation eventually is going to turn towards, how do you, how do you put it, Greg, the drought? <laughs> As, uh, how long has it been now, Greg? It's going to be, well, right now it stands at 28 seasons, I guess, right, Bob, since 1990, yeah. so looking to avoid a 29th straight Grey Cupless season. Where, where are you going with this, McGarry? I guess the fact that the conversation is going to start about is this the year that the drought gets broken? That's where I'm going with All it, right. yeah. Well, this is a good-looking team. I've said that right from the, the free agency period in the offseason up to now. Uh, they will be one of the top contenders in the West, as they were last year. They went to the West final last year and lost a close game in Calgary, and I know the fans don't want to hear that because that's the, the same old story since 1990 in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a good-looking club. I think they've got a chance. They've got a chance to end that drought this year for sure, maybe as good a chance as they've had. In many, many years, assuming they stay healthy and some things fall into place, that's an assumption you always have to make, but it's a good-looking club on paper. Now, there are others in the league, uh, but this this one looks good to me. I, a lot of people come up to me and ask me, is this the year? And my pat response is, it could be. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think there's a real possibility that it could be, but, boy, we've got a long way to go before before that turns out. There was a fan there yesterday wearing a Blue Bomber jersey with a number 13 and Saskatchewan sucks on the back of it. And I tweeted that out, and of course a Regina fan immediately responded with four numbers, uh, 1990. Mm-hmm. That's all he had to say, which is the last time the Bombers won the Grey Cup. So, yeah, I mean, his response obviously is you can make fun of us all you want, but you guys haven't won this thing in 29 years. So... So there you go. And there's, I think there's a fair bit of pressure on the organization. To, I think they feel it, too. They know this drought is just really uh, hard for the fans to, to swallow these days, and they would love nothing more than to end it, obviously. Yeah, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, so this this ain't nothing, folks. <laughs> <laughs> just let me tell you that. Of course, that was broken in 2016. Before we let you go... Uh, Bob, you mentioned the West final against Calgary. One of the players that was very good for the Stampeders was former, now uh, again, Blue Bomber Chris Matthews. And every time I scroll through Twitter, if it's not yourself, it's uh, others in the Winnipeg media marveling at what Chris Matthews is bringing already in training camp. And it's not just what he's doing in terms of uh, making uh, spectacular catches and catching everything in the 204 area code, but he seems to be mentoring some of the other players and the younger receivers in camp well you couldn't ask for a player to show up with a better attitude than chris matthews has he's 29 years old he spent some time in the nfl but he said he's here now to be a part of a championship team and he is mentoring the young receivers greg he keeps them out after practice to catch passes i look back to last year remember they signed adam big hill just before camp and what an impact he made Uh, chris matthews has every chance to make that same impact on offense he's six foot five he made some catches the first two days of training camp that had the fans applauding and cheering he's going to be a tremendous tremendous addition to the offense something they didn't have before and that's a a great big impact receiver so yeah two days in he and willie jefferson uh look like tremendous acquisitions Bob Irving joining us live on 680 CJOB, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for Breakfast with the Bombers. Bob, thank you very much for this. Okay, anytime.
744 on 680 CJOB. Just want to give a quick shout out. One of the Winnipeggers uh, that is vying for a spot on the team defensive lineman, Tarek Lachance. I worked with his mom, Lizette. Oh, uh, really? Back in, I guess it's been about uh, 15 years now. But uh, so that, yeah, that's. Uh, I just thought that was kind of neat. I've been That's following fantastic. her on social media, her excitement, her pride, and her baby. Now trying to get on the Blue Bombers. So There'll be nothing like uh, playing for your hometown team. Absolutely nothing like it. In fact, I, I wrote a poem about it in grade nine. A poem? It actually got published in some sort of, was it Imaginations Incorporated or something? And I came across that book a few years ago, and it wasn't a horrible poem. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you still have the book somewhere at home in your of garage? Of course. Of course I still have it, Is Brett. it in your garage? Uh, it's actually in my basement. It's oh. in my other it's in my other filing system. <laughs> <laughs> Mackling and McGarry, McNabb back tomorrow. The three amigos not together today. Hey, speaking of the three amigos, you remember that movie? Yes. Remember there's a scene where one of the guys says, What is a plethora? <laughs> a, I love using the word plethora. Yeah. And that is one of my favorite scenes, if not my favorite scene from that movie. Is it Martin Short, Chevy Chase, and Steve Martin? Steve Martin. Yes. So I will then ask you the question what is Mayo Chup? <laughs> Mayo Chup is uh, Heinz. Um, well, it's kind of a marketing thing, let's be honest. Kraft Heinz has acknowledged, uh, well, well, first of all, what it is, it's it's ketchup and mayo in one bottle. Yeah. I don't know why you insist on doing these sorts of things. I understand that you're going to put the mayo and the ketchup on the burger, but what if you like two different brands? One of our loyal listeners says, hey, I, I, I'm not a fan of the Heinz mayo. Yep. I like the Hellman's mayo. So why are you, why are you doing this? I'm not going to buy it. I guess this is seen as convenient in some people's eyes. Yeah, I've, I know a lot of people like it, but yeah, I guess the convenience, rather than having to buy mayonnaise and buy ketchup, you just buy one bottle, mayo-chop. Especially if you use it on more more than just burgers, you might use it to dip your fries. I know a lot of people like to use it as a dipping sauce. You could use it as dipping sauce for other stuff too, I guess. Have you tried this? I haven't tried. I haven't gotten bought. I haven't gone out and bought the the mayo chop bottle, but I've mixed the mayonnaise. You have mixed the two. Yeah, I like it. I dig it. Okay, well, it's it's having a a a little bit of a of a. Interesting effect on our language. Kraft Heinz has acknowledged an unfortunate quote and translation of its latest buzzy condiment of premixed mayonnaise ketchup that has reached Canada. Mayo chup, which was a crowdsourced name, can mean something entirely different in some Cree dialects, according to linguists and Cree speakers. Can I can I leave the rest of this with you to navigate the language that is the direct translation? You have a way of navigating this language. Arden Og, director of the Cree Literacy Network, said that around the community of Moose Factory in northern Ontario, the name Mayo Chup can be heard as, why don't we just say S-face? Okay. three other letters after right. the letter S. So naturally, that is not particularly favorable, and this happens to be the very vulgar English idiom for extreme drunkenness and so it begins to be used that way, at least around Moose Factory. So, yeah, when you, if, uh, oh, uh, I went out for a rip on the weekend, I was really blank-faced. There we go. So there you go. So it got us, uh, one of our t- text messengers kind of angry that this is being brought up. Like, why, 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 why they bring that? I think it's just a fact. 
Yeah. I think it's being discussed. I don't think anybody's looking for any sort of compensation or is looking for any sort of change. It just seems to be the way it is. And uh, so I dug into uh, the whole idea of English words not necessarily translating Mm -hmm. very well. Yep. Um, it's called false friends. Okay. This is the, the saying. Uh, the first uh, word is word that my mom hated. The F word was more preferable. The actual F word was more preferential in our house versus this one that starts with F and ends in art. <laughs> That's right. We all know the English meaning of the word fart. But did you know that fart <laughs> means speed in Danish, Norwegian, and Swedish? If that doesn't make you snicker enough, the words for speed bump in each language are fart bump, fart shump, and fart hinder. How about that? In German, a gift is not quite as pleasant as in English. It means poison! Taking it a step further, a gift in the Scandinavian languages can mean both poison and marriage. Could be the same thing, actually, depending on your point of view. These two meanings are related and stem from the same root word to give. The word crap in Romanian means carp, which is, of course, a fish. Uh, but to be fair, English has a fish called a crappy, which I didn't know. But, of course, here we got a nice uh, little container of Crap. (laughs) (laughs) And brat has perhaps the most fitting example on our list. Brat or means brother in Russian, Polish, Ukrainian, Croatian, and Serbian. Next time you call your brother a brat, just tell him you're learning from one of these languages. And there's uh, in this particular article, there's there's an ad and uh, it's a child sort of in what looks to be a field of tall grass. And I don't, um, it says, mama, die, die, die. Not entirely sure if this is from Germany or whatnot. Of course, I, I think of either. I think of two things when I see that in the context of German. I, th- I think of Die Maschine yes, in Osborne, and then I think of Sideshow Bob, where he, where he had painted the words "Die Bart Die," and he says, "No, it actually means the Bart the." So. Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Let us know if you've ever tried crap, by the way. <laughs> if you've ever been to Romania. And if you've ever been mayo chopped and eaten the mayo chop. <laughs> Would you eat the mayo chop? We want to talk about the Waverly Underpass and find out what is going on there. But before we do that, in our previous conversation, <laughs> we mentioned what is a plethora from the Three Amigos in relation to a discussion we were having about this new Kraft Heinz product, Mayo Chup, and how it translates to something a lot less favorable in Cree. And we got a, a, a plethora joke here. <laughs> now, I think Loren would love this joke and would spend maybe the next segment explaining it to us, but I'm just going to read it. Okay. A man is at a funeral for a friend. After he listens to the eulogy, he walks up to the grieving wife. He puts his hand on her shoulder and asks her, can I say a word? She looks up and says, please do. He says, plethora. She says, thank you. That means a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Leo. Appreciate the laugh, man. (laughs) So it was the source of much debate. Do we really need it? 
Many demanded it, and here we are, just a few months away. Ooh, that excites me. A few months from being able to use it. It has affected thousands of Winnipeg motorists. It is continuing, and it's right on schedule. We are talking about the multi-million dollar Waverly Underpass project. Cameron Ward is the project manager of this mammoth project, and Clay Young spoke to him over the weekend. Construction of this project really started ramping up in early uh, 2017. And uh, now here we are in early 2019 uh, in, our, in our third year of major construction on the project. Uh, and how we got here was uh, we really spent 2017 building uh, a couple temporary detours, one for vehicles and another detour for trains. And that let us go ahead and build uh, the underpass bridge structure in 2018. And then in late 2018, we got those trains running on that new bridge structure. So uh, the outlook for 2019 is focused on building that final road under the underpass, uh, finishing all our intersection improvements and, of course, all the land drainage and, and other components of the, that are part of this project. How many streets are affected by this? This project is making significant improvements and investments in the whole regional street network in this area. So starting from the south end, that includes uh, Waverly at Hearst slash Wilkes. Uh, we're making some improvements to that intersection. And then working our way north from that, uh, obviously the new the new Waverly underpass under the CN mainline will uh, will be there. Uh, Waverly and Taylor, that intersection will be completely reconstructed as part of this project with uh, improvements to turning lanes and that sort of thing being made. And then we are going all the way up to Waverly at Grant, where we've uh, already back in 2017, we previously made some uh, major improvements to that intersection for capacity as well. Uh, we are also widening Taylor west of Waverly. So about one kilometer long stretch of Taylor that was previously one lane each direction, that will now be a full four lanes uh, divided uh, roadway. And we're also jumping back down to Hearst. Uh, we also widened Hearst in, in the area in front of the Humane Society and the Tim Hortons down there uh, to, to improve capacity and, and vehicle flow. When is the date uh, of completion expected and uh, how far are we along percentage-wise in finishing the project? Yeah, we're roughly 70% through the, the course of the project. So we've kind of, you know, two out of the three years of major construction are complete. As far as dates, definitely our next major milestone is getting traffic operating under that new underpass and getting it off the, the detour where traffic is now. Uh, and what we're anticipating currently is a weekend in August that that's going to occur. Now that might shift by a week or two kind of in either direction. It sort of depends on the, uh, the weather conditions that we get throughout the summer and how much progress we can make on the road work. But uh, that's, that's the target. And then once that traffic flip is made, once traffic is running on under the underpass, That'll allow us uh, to dig up the old detour road and, and complete intersection paving. Majority of that is at Waverly and Taylor. Mm-hmm. So that'll take us right to the end of the, the 2019 construction season. So call that end of October. And mm-hmm. that, that'll, be, uh, that'll be substantial completion of the project. Do you think uh, some remnants carry into 2020? Yes, absolutely. We expect all lanes to be functioning, you know, sidewalks to be open. There will be some landscaping occurring in 2020. It's just the nature of landscaping. It needs to be done at a certain time of year for the best results. So some of that will be occurring in, in early 2020. Uh, it shouldn't affect traffic too much. Uh, we also are happy to have a piece of uh, public art. So through the Winnipeg Arts Council, uh, this project has been identified as a, for a public art installation. And we're anticipating that art piece will be installed in 2020. 
That is Cameron Ward, project manager for the Waverly Underpass Project. City spending about $80 million on general road construction projects this year, but I can't wait for this thing to be open. I can't tell you how many times I have had to sit at trains at Waverly only to watch as one just finished up and then another one came back from the other direction. I think that's the frustrating part about that crossing is the fact that not only are there lengthy trains, but they can come back to back like that. And it's not an odd situation for it to happen. It happens all the time. It's very frustrating for folks. So it'll be good to get that piece of infrastructure infrastructure up and running. Cam Ward, I, I not the former goalie of the Hurricanes, by the way, or Chicago Blackhawks. He's uh, <laughs> works for the city of Winnipeg. No relation. Spoke with him just as they were getting uh, ready to finish the Taché Belvedere mm-hmm. and all the reconstruction on Taché. And then the weather went absolutely sideways on them. They were on track to finish that project on time. And of course, the weather threw them off. Uh, I'm hoping that Clay's conversation with him doesn't have a similar effect on our summer weather. Oh boy, oh, I want to make that make that thing happen because um, I mean I guess that's the, the thing with any if you take any route where there is a, a good chance of a train going by, you take it because it's the best route. But if you get stopped at a train, then it adds 10, 15 minutes. So it, it, you roll the dice every time. Like Waverly, I would say at least one out of three if not even more. But one out of three times I go up Waverly, I get stopped by a train. And it's the same uh, Marion and Archibald. Because if I take Marion and Archibald, if I like when I was living on Corden and wanted to go see my parents in Transcona, way faster for me to go up Marion. Sure. But if I get stopped at a train, and the, the trains that go through there are getting progressively longer, uh, they sometimes come to a complete stop. That just adds 10, 15 minutes to your, your trip. And in some cases, there's you can't turn around and get out. Nairn is really the only genuine guarantee that you won't get stopped by a train. Yeah. But Nairn can be backed up in the middle of the day. It's a very busy traffic corridor. And, and that's the controversy about the Waverly underpass, right, is the fact that, that an underpass for Marion and Archibald was deemed more problematic and more needed by the city, but they came up with this monolith three hundred million dollar plan with all sorts of off and on ramps, and really was out of scale for the neighborhood. So that's been shelved for the time being, and uh, Waverly will come online. Uh, we'll be able to start using it uh, by the end of the summer. We decide today reverberate through the annals of history. The Game of Thrones finale making history. The most watched episode of television ever aired on HBO. HBO says 19.3 million people watched Sunday night live and streaming, beating the previous record last week's episode by almost a million viewers. And when you just look at the number of people watching at 9 p.m., 13.6 million, that's also a new record, beating the fourth season premiere of The Sopranos in 2002. When delayed viewing is factored in, the final season of Game of Thrones is averaging an astounding 44 4.2 million viewers per episode. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. Jeff Braun, co-host of The Couch Potatoes, is here to talk about the finale. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I thought it was all right. It started really slowly, I thought. There's a lot of people walking and walking and walking slowly, but 
That's just a Game of Thrones thing. They do that a lot. So, but uh, as soon as sort of the knife went in, it picked up for me, and I was sort of really into it the rest of the way through. And I thought it was a, a fine send off. A lot of it was a little bit weird, maybe, but I, overall, I thought it was good. Not a surprise that Twitter is outraged well, sure. because that's what happens on Twitter. It's one of the reasons why I don't like Twitter. Everyone <laughs> wants to tell you how angry they are about things, but do you feel like do you empathize with the anger at all? Do you think that it's justified? Uh, a little, some, on maybe on some counts, in that things that could have been solved by putting ten episodes in the season instead of six or whatever. I, I get that sort of stuff, but when they're just like, Ugh, the one I wanted to be the, the king at the end wasn't the king, and it's stupid, so that I don't get behind. Yeah, it, it seemed like it was a weird choice what they went, but I like that it was an unexpected choice. That's what got me about this finale. Is it was, it caught me off guard. I was, I was waiting for. I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. I was kind of hoping there'd be this big sort of shocking twist or this big surprise reveal, but instead it was completely, it went sort of the other direction where it was just kind of mundane. Like once the big thing happened in the show, everything else was just sort of yeah. lackadaisical. Well, we knew that they had to deal with what happened the week before, which is what they did, what Jon Snow did. And then after that, it was just about... Every, putting everybody sort of settling everybody into a place where we could, you know, leave them at the end of the series, which is what you expect from a finale. And that's probably why it felt a little boring is because it was just it was doing the things it had to do. The Breaking Bad finale was great. It also was doing the things it had to do. So while it was it was pretty much a perfect finale, but no one gets really excited about it because it did what you thought it would. First question I have for you guys, in your expert opinions, how much of the books not being finished has played into this disenchantment with the way the series has ended? Because I'm imagining that if you read the books and you've been following the series, you kind of know what's going to happen. It's just a, a, it's just a, a imagining in your own mind, what it should look like and corresponding that with the series. Once the books are done, now the writers of the TV series have had carte blanche to do with what they want. How much of that has been a factor in people's dissatisfaction with the last season? What do you think, Jeff? I think lots. I I haven't read the books all the way through, but from uh, the stuff I have read on the internet from other critics or whatever that have read the books and watched the TV shows, they pretty much point to the spot where the last book ends and where these guys started writing it on their own is that's when the quality went down significantly, like the last two seasons, I guess. Yeah, and my my understanding is George R. R. Martin did give them sort of the broad strokes of where he planned to take the story, but as for how they get to those broad strokes was left up to them because he still has two books in this series, like you'll never five finish books. those. No, no, there were five books. They did five seasons, and then season six is where they kind of took over. And in these past two episodes, or two seasons, pardon me, which was thirteen total episodes as opposed to the what should have been or what, what was Would always twenty. 20. Yeah. Um, people are complaining that it was too rushed, but I just think with the production that was involved and all of the visual effects and the huge sets, like they would just take forever. If they did 10 episodes for this season, Game of Thrones would have been gone until 2020, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you look back at the old seasons, that's like they used to, oh, no, we're going to have this huge battle. And then it would just smash cut to the end of the battle, right? Because they didn't have the money to film the battle, so they didn't have to waste time filming the battle either. So they could do more filling in the gaps with talking scenes. So that leads to my second question. It's being <clears throat> panned as a, in a lot of circles as not being a very good finale. 
Hollywood traditionally, I think, is terrible at ending stories. You see it in movies all the time. And where does this rank in terms of series finale, in terms of wrapping it up in a bow and making people or allowing people to move on and go, yeah, I'm comfortable with that? I, I I have to think about that because I'm still digesting it. I need yeah. to go back and watch it again. I and I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll ever rank amongst the greatest finales. No, and I, I think that's just because there's no way that they could have wrapped up this saga, which has so many characters and so many moving parts. How do you put it in in a nice tidy bow? And uh, like for the question of the day, for example, at cjob.com, which is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. We asked what show had the best series finale. And so far, 75% say MASH. Uh, 17% say New Heart. That's where he woke up and... Was, was in bed with his wife from the first show Suzanne he was on. Plachette. Yeah, and, and basically made, what was it, eight or nine seasons completely irrelevant. Just a dream. But it's a sitcom, so you can get away with that. Although if any show tried that now, they would be raked over the coals for it forever. Yeah, it was a hilarious gag at the time. 7% say Seinfeld, 7% say Breaking Bad. No votes yet for Friends, Greg. And uh, then we included in Other as well. So I know, Jeff, uh, Cheers is among your favorite series yep, finale. that was a good one. I also like The Lost one. I'm in the minority on that, but too bad. Yeah, so it's hard to, to rank it. I, I, I it's in also, the end, I, I liked how it went, and I liked cause sort of, there was a scene where there was characters just kind of sitting around bickering, and I thought, after everything we just saw, that kind of left me with a smile on my face, to see that the semblance of normality seems to have returned to the land. Yeah, it resets everyone's lives to a place of, you know, general peace or whatever, so they can rebuild after the destruction of the last eight seasons, and eventually they'll start fighting about something for real and start killing each other all over again. Nothing stays too stable in that world for very long. Yeah. And another, uh, there was a coffee cup three weeks ago, and now it's oh the God. water bottle. Twice! That's water amazing. Oh. Yeah, water, well, that's my water favorite bottle. thing. I love that. <laughs> the continuity uh, folks were uh, napping, apparently. And there's barely anything else on in that scene, like on that in that set. It's like a raised wooden platform with eight chairs and people sitting in them. And how did they not notice that one guy had a, a plastic water bottle sitting by his feet? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Just, that how did they not CG, CGI it out? Uh, well, they probably, I, they likely have scrubbed it out now. There's some rogue editor working for them that no was just that it. didn't get a raise this year and was just like mad about it, right? And they can't. What are you going to do? Fire me? The show's over. <laughs> I used to do extra work here once upon a time, and and the guys working in the behind the scenes in a parking lot or whatever it's supposed to be all texas license plates as an example they would always leave a couple manitoba ones just a mess <laughs> with what was going on really? in the movie oh yes <laughs> that's awesome let us know what you think text us 204-780-6868 and cast your vote at cjob.com what did you think first of all text us what you thought of the game of thrones finale and then cast your vote what is the best series finale jeff you mentioned breaking bad was near perfect i think that would be my favorite favorite finale i don't know that a show has ever ended in such explosive and satisfying fashion for me but uh that was a pretty straightforward there were two guys they had they basically had to wrap up the story for two guys yeah they did it in in glorious fashion it's like well this has to happen and this probably has to happen to walter white either it was like either or with him so and they picked one and away they went i like how you guys are still (laughs) respecting the spoilers on the breaking bad finale you guys are so cooth somewhere somewhere out there there's someone who hasn't seen it who will get to see it eventually and 
it was such a joyous experience to watch that show, not knowing what's going to happen next. We can't spoil that. For yeah, people. that finale was so good. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is away today. Greg, what is happening in 2023? It's something I've seen on television a lot of times. It's a very impressive display of the skills of firefighters and police officers from all around the world, and it's coming to Winnipeg in four years' time. Alex Forrest joins us now to give us some insight into the World Police and Fire Games. Alex, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, doing really well. Always great to speak with you. Uh, tell us about this event and uh, how on earth did we land this in Winnipeg? This is uh, one of the, the largest gatherings of humankind anywhere on the planet in terms of competition sport. Yes, uh, this is really the largest sporting event that Manitoba will ever have hosted. It's only second to the Olympics for the number of athletes. There's going to be 10,000 athletes. There's going to be 15,000 coaches and family members that will accompany these athletes, police and firefighters from uh, around 70 countries from around the world, 60 sports. And uh, this is an endeavor that started way back in 2008. And it really took uh, just over 10 years to go through the process to be able to land it. And in 2017, at the Los Angeles World Police Fire Games, we were able to beat out San Diego and Adelaide for Winnipeg to have the honor of hosting these games. Why is this particular event such a huge event in terms of the number of participants? Well, it's, I just seems that it's, it has grown over the year. There's a great camaraderie between firefighters and police officers, and it's just grown and grown. It's uh, more of a camaraderie event, but you're going to get world-class athletes here. Uh, there's going to be, uh, we've had always a high standard of athletic uh, uh, prowess in both the police and fire, and it's uh, going to be just an incredible time. Uh, this is going to be uh, a party for two weeks, and uh, we've looked at the economic outpouring that this will have because you're going to have uh, close to 25,000 people who are firefighters, police officers. It will bring well over $100 million to the economy. This is something that, that firefighters and police officers have wanted to do for over a decade because we wanted to give back to the city. We're so proud to be firefighters and police officers in Winnipeg, and it's our way of saying thank you. And uh, so the for two weeks in 2023 in the summer, uh, the citizens of Winnipeg are going to be able to see a window into the camaraderie of police and firefighting. Alex, this is obviously something the city you mentioned. Uh, it's taken uh, over a decade to make this happen. Uh, this competition started back in 1985. I don't know if Winnipeg could have hosted this competition 20 years ago. We've really come into our own and, and the timing for this, I think, is exceptional. Well, the thing is, is that Winnipeg is a world-class city. We have world-class sporting uh, event uh, arenas, etc., and uh, that's what won it for us. Is that Winnipeg in the last uh, ten years, especially with with our the expansion of our new airport, we have world-class sporting facilities. Uh, it was something that uh, the World Police Fire Games Committee looked at us and said that. Manitoba will own these games for two weeks, and this will be something that uh, uh, we believe will be one of the best World Police Fire games in the history of the uh, sporting event. Now, Alex, uh, before we let you go here, we do, since we have you, we were wondering if we could ask you about arson season thus far. Uh, Is there an arson season thus far? 
Yes, you know, it is, uh, it, it has come out. Uh, we had uh, uh, just a weekend from hell on, on the May long weekend. We had uh, over seven fires throughout the weekend. We, it started off with the tragic fire on Selkirk Avenue. And uh, there's many of these fires that are being investigated now, uh, especially there's, there's uh, two fires that we believe uh, started within a few minutes of itself on, on one avenue. And so we believe that was arson in, in, in some ways. So they're investigating this now. And unfortunately, at that time of year, every time during the summer, we see this coming out. Well, we'll be starting our programs very shortly to getting the rubbish out of the back lanes. We'll be doing an education process with the citizens of Winnipeg to ensure that they help us in in trying to keep this uh, street safe in, in regards to arson. All right, Alex, Alex Forrest, United Firefighters of Winnipeg President, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you, as always, for the time and access, sir. Much appreciated. Okay, cheers. Thank you very much. Mackling and McGarry, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. McNabb is away today, and we want to visit with two of our favorite guests from Fit yes. Communications. Oh, <laughs> approval. They're pleased to make the list. They've made the list, Yay! but in a good way. And we decided it's long A, right? Is that what we decided? Yes. <laughs> yes? Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> I don't know, this is what, about our 12th time visiting with you? It's been a few times. We love yeah. it here. Ali Gervais, Andrea Cates, Fit Communications. Thanks for taking some time after the long weekend. Did you guys both get outside a bit? I went quadding all day yesterday. How was, was that? It was a fun time, and I'm surprisingly stiff today. What did you say you did? <laughs> I went quadding. She rode on a, a vehicle. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she's stiff from that. Well, it has some physical connotations to it, so I'm. it was good. It was fun. I thought you said quieting. I no. went quieting. <laughs> like, is that no. just sitting on a hammock I somewhere? Don't, I don't quiet. <laughs> no. Quiet's not in her vocabulary. That's no. not Andrea's thing. No. <laughs> We're here to talk about why summer camps need to be different for girls. Uh, here's a quote from, uh, from Fit Communications, empowering through positivity and health. According to the Keep Girls in Sport program, the top three factors that make sport fun for girls are positive team dynamics, something we were just discussing off the air to certain extent trying hard and positive coaching winning rates very low in what is deemed important to girls i don't know if that's changing for boys as well but why do you think uh, andrea that is a, a one of the things on the list in terms of uh, you know winning being low on the list of priorities for girls when it comes to sport I think right now girls are looking more for that sense of belonging and camaraderie um, when they are doing any sort of activity than they are interested in winning. So they're not finding their self-esteem and their self-worth from did we win that match or did we not? Whereas boys are finding their sense of belonging more from their performance Mm. um, when it comes to sports. So girls are there to enjoy it, have a good time. And so because of that, you need to coach them differently. So, but uh, Allie... Mm. It w- isn't winning everything? Yes, it is. No, <laughs> no it's definitely not. Um, and I think that comes from um, the boys, I think for sure, um, by their peers are more accepted if they're the strong player rather than the weak player. You don't want to be the last one picked on the team. And I think boys put a lot of 
uh, waiting on that when they're choosing friends and and building their relationships on a team. Um, but I do agree that I think it is changing slightly. I think that because we're being a little bit more open-minded, perhaps as parents and as a society, that it's not all about winning, obviously, um, and that it's part of it is actually all of the things you get out of sport, not just winning. It's about all of the life skills that you get and the camaraderie and uh, learning how to win and lose, right? And, and you know, I've had the opportunity to be on championship teams, and there's nothing like it. Um, even, you know, 30 years later, mm-hmm. you have that tie that binds. And I remember that season. Uh, you don't typically uh, reflect positively <laughs> or necessarily at all over the year. You went 0-14. Oh, uh, sure. But so the idea of winning a championship can certainly mm-hmm. uh, strengthen bonds that you have amongst teammates. But I know with my boys in baseball this year, you know they're they're the oldest kids on uh, on their team and they haven't won a game yet but they have a surprisingly good attitude uh, about it because I think they realize that whether they won every game or lost every game the overall effect in their life at the end of the day is not gigantic for sure and I think as you get maybe a little bit older winning feels really good like that we're not going to try oh, and say hey. that like hey it's everybody's you know of course everybody wants to win that's you know that's definitely part of it but that's not all of it right. and I think that you know meeting those friends that you might meet in sports that you wouldn't meet in another way like maybe they're not in your school or they're not in your zone or something like that so um, I think just the idea of being able to to meet friends, have a good time. It's also a big part of sport. Is it everything? No, but neither is winning. So then is the typical summer camp where it's, you know, boys and girls, does it, is there more weight put on the winning or does it, does it just end up being more weight on the winning because the boys are end up being louder than the girls? Um, that's a good question. I think I think what has to be really understood by the sport organizations is that you can't coach girls and boys the same anymore. So if boys are looking to win and that's how they get their social acceptance and girls are have it looking for fun and camaraderie and team um, dynamics, then you can't necessarily coach those two things the same way because they're looking for different results. So I think a lot of times what we've found is sports are now recognizing that and they're now building camps just for girls um, or just for boys. It's the, the mixed ones are, are far and few between now. Allie, there are people mm. going to be yelling at the radio and I'm sure the text messages are on their way in right now. Oh, why don't we, the boys and girls, they should be treated exactly the same. Why are we differentiating the two? Why are, I thought we were supposed to be getting closer to quote unquote equality with regard to how we treat uh, each gender. Well, I think for sure we have to treat everyone equally in terms of our rights, you know, in that sort of sense. But every, we are different. Men and women are different. And it doesn't, it's not to say that treating boys and girls differently means one is better than the other. Uh, it's just different. And if one, how one person responds to something doesn't necessarily mean that the other person is going to respond the same way. And that's even true. With all girls, you know, some girls require a lot more positive feedback than other girls Um, and same with boys. So I don't but I do think that there is something to be said for the all girls sort of camps for them to feel a bit more welcome and comfortable for sure. Um, I know for myself as being in an all girl sport, uh, my favorite part about when I competed wasn't winning. It was about the relationships that I had and the sort of sisterhood that we had as a as a team. But for sure, you have to coach them differently. What sport was it? Synchronized swimming. Synchronized swimming? Where did Which you do that? Which is now uh, in Winnipeg and in Edmonton. And it's now actually called Artistic Swimming. They've changed the name to 
hopefully encourage more boys to enter the sport. Well, we're running a story on Global News uh, Television right now uh, about the fathers that have taken up this Mm -hmm. sport in support of their daughters Mm -hmm. who participate. And as we've seen uh, more girls uh, start to play hockey and football and you see, well, baseball, go back to that. There are boys and girls competing Mm -hmm. on the same teams. My boys curl in the wintertime and they go head to head against all girls teams, all four boys against all four girls. So Mm -hmm. things are definitely changing by the year Mm -hmm. in terms of how these things are viewed. But do you think there's room for... For boys to get involved in artistic swimming? A hundred percent. In Actually, in Europe, they're far more advanced than we are. There's mixed duets. So just really? like they have figure skating, they have mixed duets. Oh, you know, you, So now they have mixed duets for artistic swimming. And I actually have not had an opportunity to coach, uh, substitute coach that men's team. And I'm amazed. They are 100% serious. They, they're not out to win, but it's, I'm amazed at in this, you know, back when I swam, the thought of my dad doing the sport was like, <laughs> well, first of all, he would drown. But <laughs> he's not really, sorry if you're listening, Dad, but you're not really a great swimmer. Um, but, you know, our dads didn't do that then. But now the fact that these dads are standing up in front of all their peers and saying, I'm doing this. And even if you think it might be a girl's sport or you think it might be feminine or whatever, they're supporting their girls in sport. And it's amazing. So uh, I do think, yeah, if we can have more interaction of the girls and boys in sports that aren't necessarily physical because, you know, at a certain age, the boys are um, bigger and stronger than the girls in a lot of ways. But the more that they can compete on an even even playing field, the better for sure. And Andrea, you have a resource for people to find camps that are geared towards girls. And we'll get to that in a moment. But what would a what would a, a camp that is geared towards girls look like? Um, very similar um, to the sport options as our boys. So there's not necessarily that it's only going to be, you know, gymnastics and synchronized swimming and dance, which are not to take away from those sports, but they are, um, you know, typically more girl focused. But there's other options that I think sometimes parents don't think of. So there's football, badminton, CrossFit. Um, so a few different, which are more typically boys' sports. Um, there's camps for girls that are all girls' camps. Some are co-ed as well. Um, but there's just lots of different options now in Winnipeg for parents and girls to think about taking. So where do we go online to, to find more out about this? So if you go to fitcommunications.ca, under the directory um, tab, there is a listing of all the different sports camps under the What's Happening Now tab. Um, or under the directory, you can find a list of various places throughout the city that are encouraging for girls to come and try their sport. So they all have different summer um, activities to try as well. That's yeah, uh, super easy to find right in the middle of all the drop-down windows, Fit Girls directory, and then the Fit Girls happening now, and uh, all sorts of, uh, oh my gosh, you've got a endless list of options for girls here. We have a lot of <laughs> options for girls, and that's the, th- the big thing that we want to show, is that there is lots of different things that people can take um, throughout the year for girls, and so maybe trying something new or different that you wouldn't have thought of before is um, is a great idea. Do girls often end up discouraged uh, because of the traditional camps to the point where they don't, they just don't want to participate in stuff like that at all? 
I don't think so. I think girls are still um, interested in doing the more traditional female sports, but um, we just want to show that there are options. And especially, too, as girls get a little bit older, they might want to do some cross-training. So if if their sport is, for example, synchronized swimming over the summer, if they have a two-month break from the sport, they might want to try CrossFit just to sort of keep in shape and keep their mind active and that sort of a thing. So there's a lot of options um, for cross-training as well for kids that are a little bit older. And why is it important to, you know, I mean, our parents used to chase, probably I would imagine they chased you guys outside. My mom would, mm-hmm. was always always trying to chase me away from playing Nintendo, get outside and do something. But why is it important to make sure that the kids stay active? Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's a host of reasons. Obviously, the first one is health. Um, we all want to make sure all of our kids are reducing their screen time for sure. Um, mine as well. And mine are younger, but still, we don't want them sitting in front of a, a screen all day long. Uh, we want them to get outside and build the strong muscles and healthy bones and be active and improve their cardiovascular. And then just to get fresh air and help. I think it also helps them to become um, better adjusted, I guess, emotionally as well, the more activity you do. Is the screen time a big deal in the video games and such? Is that a big deal oh my for gosh. girls? Because uh, having yes. two boys, I'm, yeah, so it's not, I'm always hammering on them. Yeah, so, well, from my personal experience, it's not so much video games, but it's things like YouTube videos, mm-hmm. right? So now they're on to, and it's following YouTube families, and it's, and other, there are other games too that they play, but it's fall, you know, it's just different shows on YouTube and Netflix and whatever else you can find on your devices. And they just, they could, my kids could spend all day long if I let them. Okay. Well, the boys and the girls seem to have that in common. <laughs> yeah. <sure>. No <laughs> problem with watching enough screens. Um, what's the website, Andrea, for those who don't know? It's fitcommunications.ca. Fitcommunications.ca. Andrea Cates and Allie Gervais are the founders of Fit Communications. And again, it's about keeping girls in sport. Why summer camps need to be different for girls. Andrea and Allie, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, we thanks for having it. us. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.